passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are live, everybody. Welcome to... Our Backlash 2020 post-show. I am John Pollock, alongside the one and only Wei Ting, and we are here for the next however long it's going to take to go through this very unique event. How are you, Wei? Doing okay, John, yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, Just sat through Backlash. I mean, I think that's where everyone is at, at this particular time period just digesting that show and i look forward to chatting about it with you how was how was your weekend uh weekend was fine yeah um you know it was a combination of i think busy and also like lazy so yeah typical getting ready for this this is of course the main event uh yeah and we're gonna spend a, a lot of time on the main event tonight, I, I am sure. So uh, we're going to be opening up the phone lines after our review of Backlash. And I think off the top, though, we should talk about kind of uh, the context going into tonight's main event because it was reported uh, just before showtime on Sunday uh, by Sean Rossap at Fightful.com that Edge suffered uh, a triceps injury that has um, you know, since been categorized as a torn triceps uh, that happened during the filming of this match. And that's a very significant injury, especially when you're talking about an athlete that is 46 years old in Adam Copeland. And I think it kind of heightened people's uh, awareness of this match to now kind of watch this match with a magnifying glass throughout the uh, 44 plus minutes. Sure. Yeah. Um, But I feel like if he were to suffer an injury, it would have no real implications as to storyline because the way he went out, really no. seems to suggest that he would be taking a break anyway. And who knows what sort of schedule he was going to be on. But I can't imagine him having too many, too much difficulty in, in whatever their plans were. No, I mean, they, they brought back the punt tonight. And that is traditionally something where, you know, they brought out the stretcher and everything. I mean, it was very much designed for Edge to have a sabbatical after this. And it just may be longer than they anticipated, given the the nature of this triceps injury and, and how many months it's going to take him out of action. Um, that, that, that's a long, you know, re- recuperation period. Sure. Yeah. Did you notice any part? Uh, I mean, it would just be, you know, just, just looking at it, like certainly that, that twisting, you know, twisting off the turnbuckle into the RKO, you could have looked at that. I mean, up until the end, like it's really hard to, to pinpoint one specific spot and, this also had the nature of the fact that it was it could have been edited. So um, if, if there were any glaring, um, you know, a glaring spotlight on it, that could have easily been eliminated. Yeah. So it was hard to say. Do, do you think we, you know, given, given the way the match ended, do you, do you expect to see Edge on Raw tomorrow night? Or do you think that this was probably the last time we see him for some time? I don't. I mean, it was a stretcher job. You know, the guy was barely conscious and I, I it would to me, served little purpose for him to actually appear on Raw tomorrow. 
um you know to me it would only like hurt the injury angle that they told at the end of it so i don't expect him so we'll be talking about that match um and then yeah we definitely want to get everyone's uh calls in because i'm sure this is a match that uh, everyone would like to discuss and i would imagine that it's going to be the the lion's share of the uh talking points coming out of backlash but we're also open to the state of cinematic matches as well so yeah let's Let's get into a uh, backlash from Sunday night at the performance center and all, but uh, the main event and the street profits, Viking Raiders. That was uh, the rest of it was all live tonight. So that's what we were watching. And we had the, uh, the, and extras as well, who amazingly for the last hour of the show, it sounded like they multiplied by like thousands. It was crazy. They're really saving it up for the main event. I think. They really, they, you know, these are pros. They they paced themselves. They were ready for that that main event. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, they were uh, in full force. Uh, kickoff show, not a whole lot to uh, talk about on this. We had, you know, Scott Stanford and Pete Rosenberg in the studio. Uh, Renee did some on cameras with uh, JBL and Booker T remotely. And then there was one segment backstage where Christian and Ric Flair were interviewed by Charlie Caruso for the main event and each having their their pick and it ended with Christian pretty much just running down Randy Orton saying you know he's lazy and he's coasted his whole career dude sucks and Flair just kind of just stood there was, you raised good points Christian <laughs> I guess was kind of where he was going with this and he just stood there he had no rebuttal to this. I mean it was not necessarily any sort of like you know organic back and forth it was more so you get a chance to talk and you get a chance to talk and Flair already had his chance so the the chance for a rebuttal was kind of gone, but I will say I thought I thought Flair sounded pretty good here. You know, he sounded more genuine than usual, sounded charismatic. It wasn't just an appearance where Ric Flair simply relied on catchphrases, and I was happy to see that. I thought Christian sounded good too. Yeah, um, I, I hope Flair was here for a lot more reasons than just this. <laughs> it might be on Raw tomorrow, but uh, beyond Could that, be. this might have been it. Uh, they did air the John Morrison, Miz, Hey, Hey, Hey music video that we were deprived of on Friday. So they made up for it tonight by playing it not once, but twice on the broadcast. Yeah, they played it in full on the kickoff, but, uh, on the show itself, they, they played a portion of it before Braun Strowman interrupted. What did you think of the song and the video? Um, I would say that they, they seem to be, um, I, I wouldn't quite put these at like Joe Hendry level. Okay. ROH. Did did you like it? I mean, it was um, you know, certainly some work went into this thing. Um, I thought I think it, it works for their characters. I enjoyed it. I thought it was catchy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, it, it all exists kind of within like a WWE level of humor. So I I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't expect something that you would see on Adult Swim or anything like that. But like, I think for a Miz and Morrison video, this one was a bit more of an had a bit more of an '80s vibe to it. Um catchy song you know i like the key change at the end here if there were crowds i really feel like miz and morrison by this point they would have turned these two baby faces a long time ago i mean these guys are just bring, bringing so much like more entertainment and i think personality than any other team in the division the fact that there aren't crowds like really does allow them to kind of stay the course's heels for a bit longer which i think is a good thing because you get to drag it out they get to do like kind of like you know mockingly heal things like this without you know, having to cater to an audience sooner than you, uh, sooner than they probably want to. But I, I really feel like they are one of the only entertaining things about this tag team division at the moment. 
And then on the kickoff show, the lone match was Apollo Crews and Andrade for the United States title. And these were two that I think had a lot on their shoulders going into this show. And I think the placement was uh, pretty telling right here that this was kind of your throwaway kickoff show match. And not just the fact it was on the kickoff. Uh, they also got seven whole minutes on on this show. It was a, a very much of an afterthought when Apollo Crews has been anything but over the last month. He was certainly uh, someone that was on the ascent on Raw. So prior to the match, Kevin Owens comes out and joined them on commentary. Andrade was in control. He did this slingshot into a draping DDT, um, also hit the running double knees. Then Cruz stopped him used a military press, followed by the standing shooting star and standing moonsault, but then Angel Garza, who was with Zelina Vega, got onto the apron to distract Cruz, and this prompted Kevin Owens to get up from his seat and stun Garza on the floor, and it led to Cruz then hitting Andrade with the toss powerbomb and won the match in 7 minutes, 24 seconds to retain the U.S. title, and afterwards there was dissent among uh, Andrade and Garza with... Owens leaving with Apollo Crews as his best buddy, and that that was it? Yeah. I mean, this really was just a bit of an exhibition match. There was no story heading into this announcement of this match. Um, and the result was just, just a match. Technically, it was fine. It reconnect, reconnected Kevin Owens into the mix here with Selena's crew and, and Apollo. Uh, but beyond that, really just a match. And, you know, I think a big question coming off of, like, the, the Pritchard-Heyman news is, what the status of Apollo Crews will be, and we shall see tomorrow. I want to correct myself. Um, I had mistakenly said that Raw was taped last week. It doesn't appear to be. So next, no, it's a new, it's a new show tomorrow. Yes, yes. So we shall see what the first edition of Raw under uh, Bruce Pritchard will look like. Yeah, I mean it's um, it'll be hard. Maybe uh, it, maybe we'll get a bit of a gauge of it this week. But I would say over the next month, it'll be noteworthy. I would say Apollo Crews would be as central a figure as any to look at where is he because it was obvious the projects on Raw versus, um, you know, guys, where are they a month from now? We'll we'll find out. So, yeah, nothing special. And I say I would just say the placement and the time they were given this one to me was, um, yeah, this really was an afterthought on the show. The main show itself started off with a big hype video for Edge and Randy Orton, who are wrestling tonight, everyone, if you forgot. And this documented Edge's history going back to 1998 and the feud with Orton. Pretty elaborate video package. And then, way, did you have panic in, at the disco in your mind all night long? I didn't even realize that was a band, but um, yeah, sure. Okay. This is the greatest show. And they reminded you of that over and over with the the song all night. We also had a there was also a Green Day song that was apparently one of the themes of Backlash that I had no idea about until tonight. Is that right? Okay. Uh, in this opening video, of course, like you know, the the big hook for this whole thing is that this is going to be the greatest match ever, and it's certainly laughable. Um, just to even mention it right now, but they definitely like. They went all out with the bells and whistles here as much as they could in order to elevate. Wait, they created new bells, new whistles like they went to. It was like uh, every drop, every option in the drop down menu. It was select all. That was tonight's main event. And so for me, like the treatment and the presentation leading up to this match was going to be really interesting. And they they definitely started it off with (sighs) reminding us of the greatest matches of all time prior to this one. And it's always interesting to see, like, which ones they choose to profile. So in this show, the greatest matches currently, John, according to the WWE, 
Hogan Andre, Savage Steamboat, John Cena versus The Rock, Shawn Michaels versus Steve Austin, and Triple H versus The Undertaker. Um, Michaels and Steve Austin, a match that, that I think bo- bo- neither would argue <laughs> in their fa- it was not even one of their better matches, period. It, it honestly felt more like a collection of the top stars that are still somewhat associated with the company rather than any sort of single feature of like the actual greatest matches. But, you know, this is but did, it, did they have like, Flair and Steamboat in there. Yeah. Uh, Flair Steamboat. Flair no. Steamboat. No, no, this is all under the WWE banner. Are you kidding me? You think a, a, a greatest match ever could occur outside of the no. WWE? What about uh, Jumbo? Was, was Sarut in there at all? No? <laughs> I don't think so. So the show opened uh, with Bailey and Sasha versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross and the Iconics for the WWE Women's Tag Titles. The rules here are that uh, three people are legal at once. You can only tag in your partner. Um, duh. Um, beforehand, they interviewed Bailey and uh, Banks backstage. Bailey is now Bailey Dose Straps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, instead of Becky Two Belts. Yeah. She's she's a Mexican, like, she's part Mexican or something, or she is Mexican? I forget. Uh, her, we, we can, we can, we can uh, make make sure afterwards. I, I think that she would be okay to have a, a taco about gender reveal party <laughs> if she so chose <laughs> you li- thank you for you either watch total bellas which i hope is the case or you listen to total recall so either one i appreciate uh it was definitely the latter <laughs> not the former <laughs> um Banks said that their friendship is unstoppable when asked if losing the titles could end the friendship so the match uh begins and they're beating down on Nikki Cross for a long time. Bliss got the tag and just fired up on everyone. Knocked Billy Kay off the apron with a right hand. And then Bliss and Banks were fighting on the apron. Peyton Royce dove at both women and like did like a flying cross body to knock them onto Bailey and Cross on the floor. So we had a whole car crash on the floor. The Iconics hit their finisher onto Banks. And then Royce was elevated by Cross into the flatliner by Bliss that they've been utilizing. Bliss followed with Twisted Bliss, but Banks took Bliss off the momentum of Twisted Bliss and cradled her for the cover at 8 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, thoughts on the match, way? I thought having everybody in the match, at, uh, like having three people in the match at once rather than, you know, sometimes they do the thing where only two people are allowed in the ring. This was like, you know, constant triple threat rules. I thought it allowed for a really good, fast pace of action. To me, the standard of the match was Alexa Bliss. I've really, you know, this match reminded me of, of exactly how sh- good she is in ring, and I've, and how much I missed her in a in a featured singles role. Um, and right behind her, I thought was Sasha, who to me is always fantastic, always consistent, and really, I thought I thought everybody contributed to like a good lucha pace of match with constant action. And I even include the Iconics, who I think everybody knows is on a level b- below the other four in this match, but I thought they played their roles perfectly well. Despite- I think Pey- I think Peyton Royce has certainly improved. I, I yeah. thought she was um, noteworthy here. That um, she looked good here. Um, you know, it, this match was not like blow away great or anything, but this was fine for your nine minute opener. Where I, I think it uh, exceeded my my expectations that were going into this. And this also sets up Bailey and Banks against Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox on Wednesday for NXT, which I'm actually looking forward to more than this match itself. You know. Um, so I think that's part of the, the, like the, that will be part of the appeal of this entire run for Bailey and Sasha is that they get to finally, you know, deliver on what they tried to do 
in that first one, and that's take the belts over to NXT. I want to see Bailey hijack the tank. Oh, okay. And take it back to SmackDown. That would be awesome. So after that, we had an Extreme Rules promo. Uh, that's coming up July 19th. And what a logo they have. It's like purple and green. Yeah, it's like kind of like old school, you know, Hardy Boys colors. Yeah, it's like Team Extreme Rules. Yeah. Maybe we'll have a, maybe we'll have a team concept. Jeff just needs to find a partner, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Braun Strowman arrives in his Plymouth Grand National. And, dude, he found the exact same parking spot. Maybe he has his own parking spot now. It's this exact this exact perimeter that he is given uh, as universal champion. And he leaves his car there. And what could go wrong? Cars have not been having a good run of luck in pro wrestling of late. I think as champion, you know, and that should be part of like the reason why you would go for a championship belt. You get a parking spot. Where does Drew park? Next to him. Okay. Uh, Seamus and Jeff Hardy. The, the, uh, the drug test uh, free Jeff Hardy, who has passed his drug test on Friday. What did you think uh, of the angle? Oh, it was it was high art. It was really it was really something. Um, first of all, we, we we've been on WWE. Let's let's give him a round of applause for doing some form of testing at the Performance Center. <laughs> yes, yes. Sheamus tore at Jeff Hardy's mesh shirt. And this was just this. This caused Hardy to fire up on him. I think. I think, I think Jeff should have thanked him. This is like totally Jeff style. He's into some, ripping these mesh shirts anyway. Like, thanks, Seamus. Maybe what what Jeff Hardy needs is a he needs a, a WH Park in his life to sit down and be like, Jeff, I know you've got a lot of problems in your life. Fashion is also one of them. Dude, and this you're you're not you're not 25 anymore. You're 42. I mean, what, even when the man was 25, I I I, I don't know if. If this would have been, you know, but the, he is who he is. He is a very unique man of his own imagination. I'm just, I'm just imagining uh, that conversation of like someone uh, of a stylist uh, going over this with Jeff Hardy. There's a lot you can get away with at 25 that you can't now. Uh, Hardy hit the whisper in the wind, but Seamus has attacked his knee uh, several times and is going back to the knee. They're on the top turnbuckle. Sheamus gets shoved down, and Hardy hit the swanton, or went for the swanton, but got knocked off balance. So Sheamus took over again, using the cloverleaf. Uh, Hardy gets to the rope, and he's just being dominated until he catches him with the twist of fate and the swanton. Sheamus gets his foot onto the bottom rope, and then Hardy on the floor tries to scale the barricade with the plexiglass on it, leaps into a brogue kick, and Sheamus rolls him into the ring, hits another brogue kick, and pins Jeff 16 minutes and 46 seconds, uh, a lengthy match here. And um, looks like the feud is continuing. And I, as awkward as this story has been for Sheamus to win here, I think with Extreme Rules next month, I thought this was a given that this one would be going to next month. And I think that's 100% where we're going here. So you think then, the, the, the Hardy Sheamus, like you think Jeff Hardy will be a major feature of, of Extreme Rules and thus the color scheme perhaps and, and everything? I don't know if they're branding it around Jeff Hardy, but I think we we will get the the uh, um, urine sample uh, hit and run ladder match that we've all been waiting for. Well, I certainly hope that uh, there you know this the storyline will continue because if it ends on this note, it would have it would definitely be a bummer. You know, the man who's been uh, teased for his addiction all month 
losing to the bully would be a terrible story to tell. So I absolutely hope that it continues and I hope it ends with Jeff as the victor. Uh, aside from that, I, I agree that it was a little bit long, but I thought it was a good match. They built an easy to follow, pretty consistent narrative of Sheamus just like dominating this dude. His he has a very aggressive style that I thought worked well with Jeff, like basically playing like the underdog ragdoll here. Um, but I I certainly hope that he wins at the end of all this. I think he I think he has to. I mean, um, I mean the way they were we'll playing see. this up too, it was like Michael Cole's asking like, what if Jeff loses this match? I mean, it's almost like you know he'll he could fall off the wagon with one one errant loss to Sheamus. That's that's the power Sheamus holds over him. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought this went way longer than it needed to. And given the grudge element, it just, it's just like another wrestling match between these two. I didn't know if the, like the match really fit kind of, I don't know what the tone of this feud is. It's like a guy just had piss thrown at him. I don't know how you react to that. Um, I guess this is how you do it. Two broke kicks instead of one. That'll, that'll teach him. Kayla interviewed Miz and Morrison and they have been alerted that the new rule tonight is that. Whoever pins Braun Strowman, they and they alone become the universal champion. And this is news to Morrison and Miz and to most of us. Yeah, it's a last minute announcement. It's quite the curveball. Kind of kind of throws out the uh the advantage. I think the numbers it, advantage. I th- I think it's a really good stipulation that I, I actually wish they would have spent a bit more time playing with. You know, clearly it was something they might have just come up with here while they were putting the match together because I feel like it would have created like great tension between Miz and Morrison that would have made for really good TV if they did have that time to like, you know, tell that story. But, um, you know, it was saved for this. Yeah. They, they really should have brought up Lake cool and said, Hey, we were willing to cut this title in half right down the middle. Otis and Mandy appeared and Otis said, I might cash in tonight. Uh, he would not. And this would be the last we would see of Otis and Mandy tonight. Not a very, uh, not a big involvement of Otis. Asuka and Nia Jax for the Raw Women's title followed that with Asuka immediately going after the arm. She's going for the Fujiwara armbar, and it's Asuka's submissions against the size of Nia, who is able to either stop the submissions or power out of them. And Jax would catch her with her power moves like a big spine buster. Then Asuka goes for a guillotine and gets slammed out of it. Nia's yelling, where's Kyrie?" And Asuka fires at her with a spinning back fist. This must have touched a nerve when the answer was probably either backstage or at home. She's not, I, I guess she's still selling the, uh, the injury. Is that what we're to believe from the steps? I think but that's so. not a, that's not a storyline though. We didn't see the severity of that injury that was edited out. So I don't know what the story is. Use your imagination. We're trying. Asuka went for the Minoru Suzuki armbar, but then lost the grip, and they kind of had to reassess on the floor and go for this armbar. Asuka reapplies it, and Jax sends her into the barricade, and they continue to fight on the floor until they are counted out at 825. Um, Definitely a lackluster finish. Um, Up until then, I thought they were were having a decent match with the uh, the size discrepancy and the submissions. I'm not excited that we're probably getting another month of this, but I mean, that's the, the, the women's division at this point. Um, it's, it's gotten a bit thinner on raw. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I too, like enjoyed most of this match. I thought 90% of it was, was actually pretty strong. Uh, however, I, I definitely feel like most of that was thanks to Asuka because I think in, in this match, Naya continues to look incredibly inconsistent. It's not like she was 
really great before, but I think it's to me really clear that she's regressed since her knee injuries. And of course, it's understandable. You know, the, the, she had like two major knee injuries um, or, or knee surgeries. I mean, mm-hmm. um, but you know, up until this point, she still hasn't really gotten to that back to I think where she needs to be for a, a major spot like this. But despite all that, you know, Asuka was able to do a whole lot simply due to, you know, Nia being the giant and being able to tell this David Goliath story, which she did fantastically. Her pace from the jump was like urgent, you know, and whether it be at the start with her submissions or in the middle with like strikes and near falls, I thought Asuka was just fantastic. By the end, it unfortunately like did kind of fall apart, you know, losing each other's grip on those uh, arm bars, one in the corner and then one on the outside. Um, So, I can't really say by the end of it, they really did a, a fantastic, you know, job job of a match that you have to go out and see that plus the lack of finish, which does make sense because they probably have to extend this because of the lack of challengers. I definitely feel like, you know, kind of prevents this from being something that I would ha- absolutely recommend, but um, I wouldn't mind seeing it again. I thought Oscar did a great job. Yeah, it was, um, it, it was fine for, for what it was. I will say up until this point in, in the show, like I, I thought this was a pretty underwhelming pay-per-view card at, at this point. This felt like a lot of television matches with television finishes. And it, to me, it was a pretty underwhelming card at this point. Like nothing was really jumping off the page at you for a, a pay-per-view level card. Well, the build itself, I feel, I mean, this was certainly a B-level show. I even graded even a C-level show in terms of interest, in terms of hype. You know, they are dealing with, I think, a, a pretty limited roster right now in terms of star power. And this was all they really wanted to, you know, give for a show of this level. MVP was on the phone and getting set for Bobby Lashley's championship celebration that I hope he had uh, a receipt for all the stuff that he was uh, he was ordering. Lana walks in and says that Lashley's about to have the greatest night of his career. They're just throwing this term out without any regard. MVP tells Lana, you should be going to talk to Lashley about all this stuff, but you can't because you fear what he's going to tell you. And MVP leaves. So there's a power dynamic here between MVP and Lana that MVP is handily winning. Braun Strowman, Miz and Morrison, the two-on-one handicap match for the Universal title. This is where Miz and Morrison come out. They re-air the video, but then Strowman cuts it off and out he comes. So Miz and Morrison are playing the numbers game here. They're double teaming Strowman, tagging in and out. Um, Morrison got to do some flashy stuff with like the flying in Seguris and sending Braun to the floor. And they hit a double team DDT. Miz then tried to get their song going with the crowd who were saving up all their energy. They were not getting into this one. Strowman runs into the post. Um, the man's Achilles heel. Uh, if, if Ric Flair... Always got thrown off the top turnbuckle. Braun has his spot of running into the post. He is the worst defender of it. Morrison then leaps off the ropes, hits these series of kicks, and they set up where Miz is going for the skull-crushing finale with Morrison doing a springboard to knock Strowman into the skull-crushing finale. But as Morrison goes for the cover, Miz yanks him off instinctually, and he does not... uh, He immediately regrets what he did, and then he lets Morrison go for the cover which Braun kicks out from. And he apologizes to Morrison, and Strowman then cleaned house on both. Miz is sent flying, and Morrison takes the power slam, allowing Braun to win in 7 minutes, 20 seconds. Overall, I, I did find it entertaining. You know, there, there were certainly, like, maybe moments that, like, there were missed kicks here and there, but it wasn't really enough to bother me. I, I, 
I really felt like the idea of like the single person winning the belt was a clever way to lead to this finish. But I just wish what they could have played with that dynamic a whole lot more than just for you know one final near fall at the end of this match. In the end, like it felt like this was a good TV segment yep. that did, didn't really feel like it belonged on a pay per view. That's what I felt like for for a lot up until now. It's like all of this stuff I think would have worked much better on a Raw or a SmackDown, uh, including this and. Whether this signals uh, the fiend coming back, which I, I can't say I'm I'm thinking that's the savior here, the fiend to work with Braun Strowman. They have a a baby face, or I should say, a heel problem. Uh, finding heels for Braun Strowman, they're sure. pretty weak on that side on on SmackDown, and thus you get the Miz and Morrison. Braxton interviews AJ Styles, the new Intercontinental Champion, and this Friday on SmackDown, he's going to have a championship celebration, and he's inviting Daniel Bryan to attend. He says Bryan's a great wrestler, but he's not phenomenal. So that feud continues. Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley for the WWE Championship. Immediately, Lashley applies the full Nelson before the bell rings. So Drew is selling the effects of the of the submission. And Samoa Joe did a really great job of getting the submission over and explaining the pain that McIntyre was in. I thought it was very good the way they handled it. I thought Drew, Joe I thought Joe was good pretty much all show. I thought he mm-hmm. really really like shined during the Asuka Naya match and in the main event as well. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, the bell rings, Drew signals for it to start, and it's all Lashley uh from the beginning. And they go to the floor. Lashley lifts him up onto his shoulders, and he nearly drops McIntyre onto his neck. He was lucky he got to roll over. Drew is an extremely big guy, and coming down, they were really lucky here. It looked really scary. And, you know, the ensuing moments, like, anytime something like this happens, you you try to look for any signs of, like, you know, whether or not the guy's okay. And I'll say, like, there were moments that, in this match that didn't look very clean, which I feel like is incredibly uncharacter- uncharacteristic of somebody as, I think, good as Drew McIntyre. Um, so I really hope he's okay because, you know, he finished the match. Everything was fine. But, like, man, this looked like a really scary spot. Lashley was in control, and they're doing the deal where McIntyre still kicks out at one, which I, I think they're overdoing it with the one count. I think that's the kind of thing that that gets people sick of a baby face that they're pushing. I don't think he needs it. The, I think that that's... That's almost like a heel spot to me, more so than than this this baby face. Um, it can be used sparingly, but they do it all the time with McIntyre, and they even do it with Strowman a bit too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think it's something that they kind of hit on with like the whole Goldberg Lesnar thing, and it ultimately becomes something that I think the audience can see through as you know somebody trying to like WWE attempting to over push somebody. He went for the full Nelson, and McIntyre fought it off. He hit the inverted Alabama slam and then came off the top uh, and gets caught with a crossface by Lashley. McIntyre gets to his feet, and he held him up for the tombstone but could not hit it, and instead Lashley countered and went for an ankle lock. Uh, Lashley then goes for a spear, but Lashley um, gets rolled into a Kimura, which I think was done to kind of signal for something down the road with, with Brock, with, with Drew. So I like that submission being inserted there. Um, Lashley got to the rope for the break. McIntyre does the countdown, but gets hit with the spear before he can hit the Claymore. And this prompts Lana to come down. Lashley is distracted. And then with Lana on the apron, McIntyre hits Lashley with the Glasgow kiss, knocking Lashley into Lana. And Lana falls on top of MVP 
forcing Lashley to then turn around into the Claymore, and Drew McIntyre pins him at 13 minutes and 16 seconds. I thought they set up the match really well with the full Nelson off the top, and much of that credit goes to how well they've done with the full Nelson throughout the entire month, setting it up as a major move. So to to do it right off the top here, I think immediately did a good job of setting Drew as the underdog that he had to fight from uh, behind, and... They did a really good job. Again, like, you know, overall, I, I do hope that Drew is fine coming off of that very scary DVD spot. But, the, the you know, if it was, it was just then great selling on Drew's part because I thought it played into the story either way of him being dazed throughout the match and having a fight uh, from behind to, to catch up to Bobby Lashley and ultimately best him for the finish. It, it was built really well to the finish. Of course, we knew the Lana stuff was coming and my only question was whether or not they were going to insert her in a creative way. And the way they did it, I didn't <laughs> think they did. It was like simply, hey, Lana, come out, step on the apron, get knocked onto MVP. I thought it was rather lazy, and, and unfortunately. And to me, that takes down this match a big notch. Um, but I thought overall you had a good glimpse of the great chemistry these two have. I don't know if it's enough for me to want to see another rematch of this. I I feel like this this is kind of done because I don't think Bobby Lashley, you know, despite the good work they've done, I don't think anybody truly sees him as somebody who actually could be, you know, uh, could be a future champion taking the belt off of Drew. So I I think what we're getting is some kind of submission match because they were going heavy on Drew with the with the cross face, with the Kimura. Um, I think they're they're in that position where they're going to have to um, force all these submissions on Drew to go against the full Nelson and do something where MVP and Lana are banned from ringside, something like that. I think 100% we're getting this at Extreme Rules. I mean, if they could come up with a new wrinkle like that, I'd be interested in seeing it. You know, something like Drew McIntyre's submission game is uh, uh, something that we haven't seen before. So a different style of match. I might be up for it. I liked the match a lot. I, I didn't like the finish. It was yet another, um, I thought it was pretty uncreative and there were a lot of uncreative finishes on this show, but I thought the chemistry between the two, um, I, I liked the match overall. I thought that this was, um, th- th- this was good for, w- for what it was, save for uh, the ending. And I think they've done a very good job this, this past month with, with Lashley and a lot of that goes to MVP. He's been, this, this would not be a fraction of the, interest uh level without mvp in in that mix if it was lana this would not be a feud that i think would be too kindly viewed on so that takes us to (laughs) outside the arena where the street profits and the viking raiders are fighting now earlier in the day they announced that their match would be added a tag title match to the show uh but alas it was a swerve because instead we were going to get uh something of grand proportions instead they start fighting, and Eric lands on Strowman's car, breaking his windshield yet again. Yeah. So maybe it's the parking spot. Maybe it's just cursed. Um, and then we go into our monthly WWE cinematic-style presentation. We've got music underneath as the four start fighting. We've got golf clubs, shields, bowling balls, flashbacks it was taking elements of all their prior competitions and here is the crescendo where the they have the students have become the masters and it is time to utilize all these tools uh to their advantage um and such just clever stuff they had a bowling ball rolled into montez ford's balls uh ivar and dawkins went through a window and then a group of guys on motorcycles show up and their faces are hidden under the under the helmets. 
and their leader is revealed to be Akira Tozawa, who says in subtitles, anything you can do, we can do better. He's forgotten English during this period. Yeah, he suddenly, you know. He lost it. Yeah. And he's a ninja now. He's a ninja. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, someone had this idea and they said, how many Asians do we have left on the roster um, that people are aware of? Well, we've got Tozawa. Perfect. He's our ninja who can't speak English. The attempt, I guess, was to like recreate some sort of 80s like kung fu movie action scene or some sort of like trope. I, I wasn't 100%, you know, completely sure, but like they did sort of like a cheesy slow mo jump high five. It, I, I thought this was a game for you, uh, where you are the judge way and only you can answer this. Uh, I think the game was called Is This Racist? Um, is it racist to cast your um one of your few Asian stars in, in a ninja role? Um Because ninjas dude. have to be Asian. Yeah, yeah, of course. We all know that. But that wasn't the case here. They had a black ninja at the end. That's true. They did have they did have diversity here among their ninjas. So they destroyed the ninjas, uh the Vikings and the Street Prophets working together, and then they celebrated and Tozawa remained and waved in one more ninja. Um, this was the black ninja who drew his sword and Ivar had his turkey leg. And then they ran away from this mysterious black ninja that I can only assume that this was not just a, a one note uh, character that they were bringing for this, that this is going to be somebody. Really? Who do you think it would be? Um, I don't know who it is, but I mean, well, who's that big? Who would fit the role that's under contract? Uh, I don't know. Because I, I don't think this was anything. I thought this was you, just like... You don't think we're ever going to see this ninja John, again? how many things that you just recapped logically led from one place to another? This was just a series of, I think, sight gags that somebody found funny that they decided to shoot and then just threw in there with very little flow, I would say, from one thing to another. Why didn't this ninja go on to chase these guys on top of the, on top of the truck? Like, jumping on top of the truck would somehow evaded them from this entire gang of ninjas. Well, there, you've just presented a question that the people want an answer to. So we'll see if we ever see this ninja again. I hope not, but uh, nonetheless, that was the end of Tozawa and this mysterious ninja. They fought on top of a production truck. And they argued over who defeated the ninjas. And this led to the Street Prophets and Viking Raiders fighting yet again. They ended up all falling off the production truck into the most appropriate, uh, the most appropriate uh, piece of material used in this entire presentation, a dumpster, which is where all of this belonged. And as Jessica Carr looked into the dumpster, she told all four that their match is up next and said that Ivar's cute, Eric, not so much. And then a live alligator was inside the dumpster and presumably ate these four, which would mean that they do not have to live down the shame of this segment. That was among the worst things I've ever seen in wrestling history. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, uh, this, was tape, this was taped in advance way, <laughs> meaning they had time to sit down, and this was what made it to air. Right. They, they, this was not live. This could have been just, hey, 
They didn't even announce this until today. This could have just never existed and seen the light of day. But they said, no, we're going forward with this. Well, I, I thought it was a match, uh, if you could call it that. You know, I thought it was a segment that was very much in line, I think, with the, the comedy stylings of this entire program. So if you enjoyed any of those skits and the level of humor and the level of like writing that that you saw... Um, you got more of that here, except like all at once. And, um, you know, it was very much of the same quality. If you didn't enjoy it, you would not enjoy this. It was like, to me, it's not necessarily a question of whether or not there are too many cinematic matches. We can definitely, we could definitely have that discussion about whether or not there's a threshold, but the problem with this one and really like the same with any sort of WWE level humor, same with like, you know, some of the gags that they put in the money in the bank match. The problem is just, it's bad comedy written by people who just have a very, really, really bad grasp or really basic grasp of what they find funny. It, and, and, you know, it's a completely, I would say off the mark of like, (sighs) what compare the, maybe like, this is compare the humor of stadium stampede. And this is the comedy we're countering with. No, there's absolutely no comparison. Hey, by the way, somebody in the chat room, um, I want to thank, uh, they're saying that the pers- the Black Ninja was Jordan Omogben, who is a Nigerian professional wrestler currently signed to the WWE. All right. Yeah, he's the, he's the giant guy that they've got. So I don't know if the, the guy's actually ready for TV yet. So maybe not. Um, that was it. This was awful. Um, when it comes to the... Uh, the best cinematic matches we've seen, this is clearly the worst. I don't think anything will be worse than this. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, what, what, are, what are the other candidates for worst? You know, do you count the first Edgerton Orton match as a cinematic match? The first one? Mm-hmm. No, not really. That was, that, to me, that was segmented. Uh, I feel that one was... I mean, so, that was just like a street fight. So what qualifies as a cinematic match? Like a soundtrack? Different cameras? I think multiple locations, which Orton and Edge had. Uh, if you want to throw in that one, that's fine. Um, I don't think most people lump that one in with, with everything else, but sure, if you want to. Um, that was way better than this. That was like a hundred times better than this. Uh, like, seriously, Gargano and Ciampa was way better than this. Like, there was nothing near this bad. This was this was so terrible. I will say, I think, you know, maybe like a boring Falls Cat Anywhere match, I would prefer over a like a bad attempt at humor or what, whatever this was is seriously, it was just like, Oh man, one thing after another that somebody must've found funny because they put in the effort to actually like film it. (laughs) But I just really wonder who in that room, whether it be in the production or like even in the performance, do you think Montez Ford and, and Angelo Dawkins really would have laughed at any of this stuff? I, I don't know how you could, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure they, uh, either you are surrounded by a lot of yes men, they're like, wow, this is going to change the business. This is amazing stuff. How are you guys here in WWE? How are we so lucky to have this level of work on our airwaves? This is great stuff. It, 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 the comedy is very subjective. Um, yeah. Edge and Randy Orton. This was this was the greatest setup I've ever heard to a match in my life where Byron Saxton informed us that tonight's match was going to have unique camera angles and amplified audio. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to know the most interesting, unique camera angle? It was the camera angle when Orton was giving him the draping DDT, and we got a camera from the perspective of the apron that Edge was about to crash his face into yeah. right before. So I'm just thinking, like, did they say pause so that they could do a uh, get a GoPro on the on the fucking mat to it, look up at his face? It wasn't a GoPro. It was like camera guy getting in there. They did this multiple times. They did this upon their first lockup. So you got to see like an underneath shot of both their faces while both of them were doing a, a collar elbow tie up. There was another one where like off of the superplex, you you had a cameraman in there. So um, this must have been just horrendous to sit through. Like. The constant starts and stops. Like, it's not even a match. It's a movie scene. Yeah. No, it really was. So, you know, this was certainly a match that I think you could, if you wanted to, classify somewhere in between an actual bell-to-bell match and, and a cinematic match. Because there were a lot of starts and stops throughout it. I, I think you could perhaps tell in the editing. And I really do wonder if, like, how many of those starts and stops, you know, were necessary like whether or not like it was there to cover something up or if it was just simply done for effect. And if it was done for effect, I actually feel like it was a detriment to the match because it just did very little to enhance it and more so took me out of it. You know, asking me like letting me ask myself, hey, that camera looks that camera angle looks really unusual and really unnatural. And ultimately, did I need to see their faces while they're in a collar elbow tie up? I don't think so. I don't think it added a thing. There's a certain way you're trained to watch a match. Like there's certain angles that that like when I'm suddenly watching, when I'm looking at Edge's face as he's facing the canvas, like I'm now on the canvas. Like that's not how you're trained to even watch a match. You're just suddenly taken out of it saying, wait a minute, <laughs> they they stopped this to put a camera underneath him and then resume this, this shot. They, this was one of multiple takes. They chose the best one. And I think this is a case of just really overthinking things. It's overproduction, which which I think was to me one of the one of the criticisms of this match, which I thought otherwise was a really good match. You know, like think about it. Like to me, in an era of cinematic matches, you can definitely play with a whole lot of different ideas. But this was something that I think they attempted to present as an actual match. And so for me, I'm watching it like an actual match with the expectation of a production standard of an actual match so imagine like watching a hockey game and all of a sudden in the middle of a face-off you know you get to see a camera angle from the perspective of the puck looking up at the rest of the the hockey players it'd be completely unnatural so it to me it it took me out of it nor nor is that something that if i was sitting in the stands or watching at home would be saying you know what way i wonder what it would look like if one of us were the puck yeah. Wouldn't that be a cool way to look at this game from from that perspective? No. So so again, you know, one of the things that I was really interested to see was now that they promoted this thing as the greatest match ever, what are they going to do production-wise to ensure that it stands the chance of being the greatest match ever? Unfortunately, somebody thought if this is going to be the greatest match ever, we got to have the greatest camera angles ever. You know, it's got to be camera angles from inside the ring. We've got to have We've got to have GoPros on every corner. And what these GoPros happen to achieve that, like, your typical cameras couldn't have achieved, I have no idea. It was completely pointless. The camera quality sucked in, in on, on the camera angles. Now, I will say the one debatable thing about whatever production they added to this, 
that I think, you know, somebody will, some people will say accentuated, others will say maybe sounded too fake, was the crowd noise. They mm. piped in a lot of crowd noise here. They made this thing sound like a stadium. And the way... Dude, what, dude they, t- they took the audio from some of the yeah. greatest WrestleMania matches and inserted it here. I thought it was way too much. Just because we've heard this crowd all night, and we've heard this crowd for months, and it's like, I'm not stupid either. I'm looking at a, at 50 people max here, and I'm hearing thousands. It would To me, it was... Uh, there were point. There was a middle of the road that could have been achieved here, where it sounds elevated from what we've seen from prior matches. But like seriously, they were ripping audio from a sold-out Barclays Center. Is what it sounded like. It was just. It was so out of out of key. I, I tend to agree with you, but I mean, I think there are some people that will say, "Hey, like it helped me get into the match. I enjoyed it more because of the audio." Now that really depends on how how I think you're watching this match. If you're watching this match, you know, with the expectation that you're going to get something that feels like it's a live presentation, then I think you will be critical. If you're going to watch this match like it's a cinematic match, knowing that it's taped beforehand, knowing that there are edit points in between, and you're going to suspend your disbelief to a level where you're going to suspend it for, say, the Boneyard match or like the Firefly Funhouse match, then I think you could forgive it. But um, at least for, I would say, a good healthy section of the audience, maybe you and I being a part of that, it did sometimes more harm than good. So uh, some of the other aesthetics they had, they had the old uh, Madison Square Garden microphone come down from the ceiling, which was a nice touch with Howard Finkel's voiceover to introduce them, along with Charles Robinson in the old, like, powder blue uh, referee shirt with the bow tie on it as, you know, I, I don't think, you know, helps or hurts. It was just like a cool little thing to have. I really like the Howard Finkel thing. In, the uh, the Finkel know, thing was great. I didn't yeah. even really like, you know, uh, consider what was happening until they lowered the microphone, put the spotlight on the center of the ring, and there was nobody there. But you heard Finkel's voice. And and that to me was awesome. You know, um, a great little tribute. I think like you had suggested that even. like I or, did. I brought it up in that uh, either to you or that interview with Arda. I suggested that uh, whether it be for the Royal. Uh, yeah. For the Royal Rumble every year, having Howard Finkel's voice. Because he's, it's the same match that he's recited a million times uh, beforehand that that could be a trivia. And they, they did it here to introduce the match. And they didn't hit you over the head with it. It was like, you know, the announcers didn't say, oh, that's the voice of Howard Finkel. It's like, you know, if you know, you know. And and it was like kind of those that one little kind of nice wink to like its history that I really appreciated. And so, you know, unfortunately, it's not going to be something that they'll, they'll be able to replicate for every single title match because you don't have Howard Finkel doing announcements for every match. But for these two participants, it worked great. Yeah. And the match begins. And I think that, you know, for the sake of the performers, I hope people went in with as open a mind as possible, because I think that the WWE made it so heavy handed that there was probably a lot of people that went into this just not wanting to give this match any chance to succeed. And that's where I felt for these two, that they were in such an enviable position that there were those that would just be kicking and screaming to show any praise, no matter what they did in this match, just because of the match they're coming off of and the promotion. That was That's where the detriment of this promotion is. And within 10 seconds, you have Tom Phillips screaming, this is the greatest wrestling match ever. Certainly like that, I think is going to be the, <laughs> it's just the ridiculous worst thing about this match. You know, it's not the match itself, but, but the promotion leading up to it. Now, um, 
but let's get let's get into the match and then we'll say, we'll mm. say like how you know how it affected our perhaps our perception. Yeah. So early on, Edge is doing the the Ricky Steamboat arm drags, not the not the super deep ones, but nonetheless on. I, I like this spot because after two arm drags, Orton just holds up and pauses, and Edge goes for a third and just takes a bump off of it. And this starts Orton outsmarting Edge, and he's making all these tactical mistakes that Orton is pretty much just embarrassing him uh, with these mistakes. But Edge starts to go after Orton's shoulder, and the announcers bring up all the past problems Edge has had with his shoulders over the years. Um, they fight on the turnbuckle, and Orton gets knocked down with a headbutt, and this st- um, introduces blood into the match, um, which you know is something that WWE does not do all that often. But they they certainly it seems when it comes to Randy, they have no problem cracking this guy's head open when it's necessary. Well, also the fact that this was an edited match. I mean, you know, I don't doubt that the, that like he had actual blood here, but. Isn't the policy they should have made this a black and white match for the rest of it? They, we shouldn't have been able to watch this in color. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But uh, who knows like what, what they might have done. Do you think that it's possible that this could have been fake blood, given this was a taped match? Um, it really didn't seem to be. I mean, you can always, um, you know, in these tape matches, assume that. I, I, I think they just uh, had Orton... Busto, get busted open here. See, if this was not a taped match, I don't know if they would have, you know, done this. Nor do I th- know. Nor do I feel that they would have actually done the punt. I think this was one as well where I think if Edge wanted there to be blood in this match, they were not telling this guy otherwise. They're like, you guys are making me go out and do this greatest wrestling match sure. ever. I'm doing whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. I'm call. I'm laying out this entire fucking thing. Um. So. Uh, Edge blocks this RKO and he goes to apply the head and arm choke that is now the anti-venom, mm-hmm. as it was dubbed on Monday. Orton gets to the rope and then Orton gets uh, rams Edge into the pe- into the plexiglass, sets him down on the announcer's desk, and then they close they go close up on Orton who whispers into Edge's ear, "I'm going to fucking kill you." Wow. See, I couldn't even make out what he said, but that's great. Awesome. Orton then brings him into the ring and he points up to the sky and he proceeds to hit the three amigos, which is notable that the Randy Orton character now acknowledges that Eddie Guerrero is in fact in heaven. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Did not (laughs) recognize that. First thing I thought of. I, I was about to tweet that and I was like, I do not want the blowback on oh, this goodness. because I am just somehow I will catch shit for, for that line. But anyway, there, oh that God. one's for you podcast. That's literally the line he used. I know. Eddie's not up there. I blocked that out of memory. Damn. Orton starts targeting the neck of edge and he yanks edge into the post. So we see him starting to build up the damage on the neck. Um, have you really kept note of some of the names of Edge's moves over the years that oh, yeah. we finally got them all like within 10 minutes of each other. Dude, we had the the Education, the Edge-O-Matic, the Educator, like pound for pound, some of the worst named moves belong to Adam Copeland. The Educator. No, it's pretty bad. I know I know it's sort of like a, a expected like wrestling trope to like name your finisher some sort of pun to do with your name. Unfortunately, um, Edge doesn't really lend itself to great puns. Edge is, a, Edge is a really... He would admit this. Edge is a bad wrestling name. 
He's he's always said the fact you can't you need multiple syllables to chant. Like Edge is a bad name for a wrestler. Right. Multiple syllables and something that is pun friendly. I think you would do a, a better job, honestly, John, if you really had to. Better than educator or education. Um Edge-O-Matic? What the f- what is that even in reference the to? Educator. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> he's uh he hits the execution, the implant DDT. And, and this these, was, moves, these moves would not be called unless you know, like, by, uh, Tom Phillips, like, went on the Wikipedia or the Wikia at this point and, and managed to, like, find every single one of them doing his research because no one has said the names of these moves in years. I would just love for him to go up to Adam Copeland and say, could we just go over which one's which? The educator you is sure your, your version of the sharpshooter. This was maybe the most impressive thing, and it was crazy, okay? Edge hits the million-dollar knee that Johnny Walker, Mr. Wrestling 2, would always use, the big knee lift. But this was taped before he died. So do you think it was a coincidence? It was, it was 100% a coincidence. It was taped before he died. What, what is that just, knee? It was the, the million-dollar knee, where he just runs and did like the big knee lift, and it's where you slap the guy on the back. I mean, pretty it's common not a move, bit, it, right? It's a, it, it's not like it's not super common, but it's not uncommon. Um, okay, you know, it was just it was just a total coincidence that of all weeks, uh, the week that the most famous guy to do it died, and Edge had used it several days prior in his tape match. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Orton escapes another crossface, and then we get into the chapter of the match where it's spamming other guys' finishes, which is something that we see. We see quite a lot of uh, elsewhere of guys using each other's moves and then sometimes using other people's moves. It's not really something we see too often in WWE. So they decided to play that card where Orton hit an Olympic slam for a two count. And the significance was the moves we were seeing all had connections to either Orton, Edge, or both. Um, Orton uh, does not get the three count with the Olympic slam. Uh, this is where he hits the draping DDT, where we cut to camera three on the mat to look up at Edge's face, just so you know what it looks like before you take a draping DDT. Edge countered the RKO. Orton stops an unprettier, leading to the Edge-O-Matic, which Orton kicks out of. Edge sets up for the spear. Orton leapfrogs him, fakes out the power slam, and uh, hits Orton with the unprettier. From there, Orton hits a pedigree for a two count. Edge then hits the rock bottom. This is where, what what did you think about this? I, I thought I what, thought it was. What is cute. the connection to the Rock? See, that was one where it's like the Rock is not someone that's you attach to Randy Orton or Edge. It was just kind of there, and it really felt like my local indie that it was guys in like their fifth match just doing a rock bottom. Everything ahead of that though, the Imperator, I loved. I thought it made perfect sense. It was a really nice end to a really beautiful sequence. Even the pedigree, I thought, you know, made perfect sense. It was just maybe the rock bottom were, I mean, I'm sure, like, I feel like we would be able to immediately recognize, oh, here, the, the classic rock edge program or the classic rock Orton program. I mean, they've had matches, but hardly anything I would consider, like, you know, to be integral to either other man's career. So this is where we're, we're doing some near falls, using all these finishes. Orton finally hits the RKO. And it's a big near fall. Edge kicks out. Orton then sets up for the punt, but he's caught with a spear. Edge then hits a second spear. Orton kicks out. And then 
Edge goes off the t- corner turnbuckle, off the second turnbuckle, and lands into an RKO. He kicks out again. And Orton again whispers in his ear. This guy was in Edge's ear the whole night. And then Edge applies the anti-venom. But Orton goes to kick Edge, and the announcers point out that it looked to be a low kick. And from there, Orton hits him with the punt, a move that he has not used in probably a decade by this point since they they outlawed it. And Orton pins him in 44 minutes and 46 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the punt, you know, I really do wonder if they would have allowed that finish had this been a non-tape match. But the fact that it was and the fact that they were able to use it perhaps for that reason, I thought made for a wonderful finish. Listen, you, know, you know what the key to it is? Of all what? weeks, too, for, for Mr. Outspoken Randy Orton. It's slapping that thigh to, to kick the punt. There it is, of course. So to beat Edge, he had to, he had to, slap, he had the to slap the thigh. Yeah. Okay, question here. Was it the greatest match of all time? <laughs> of course not. You know, the fact well, that we even have to entertain that idea is really unfortunate because... But, what... but no, 99% of people going into this match, I think, no one was thinking that either. Of I'm hoping 50% went into it at least with like, okay, are they going to have a good match? That's That should be the goal of any, any pay-per-view match. Of course. But the fact that this match was straddled even with that question is really unfortunate because what we actually got was an excellent match, in my opinion. In terms of quality, I think all the editing aside, like, they structured this match to feel epic, and again, we don't know exactly how much took place without the the, the benefit of editing or anything like that, but just judging by the raw material that I was able to see these two partake in, and judging by the overall quality of the beats of the match, of the pace of the match, of the structure of the match, I thought they did fantastic. I thought Edge looked amazing. Orton looked amazing. This was Orton at his best doing like the evil maniacal sort of like yelling stuff. Technically, these guys look great. Um, they certainly, you know, went, I think in some t- some ways, pretty overboard with the bells and whistles. And again, that's something to be debatable about whether or not it actually enhanced or detracted. And I really feel like it's a combination of both. But I can only go by what I see with my own eyes, these two men, you know, doing. And I thought they delivered a great match. I I, I overall enjoyed it. Not not to the extent you did. I, I still think like 44 minutes. Um, I, I feel when you're going that length, it, it's it's got to be among one of the better matches of at least like the past decade. I think that's like the level that you're at when you're asking people for that level of 45 to 60 minutes of time. Um, that's what I'm going to compare you to. I'm going to be comparing you to an Omega Okada. Um, that's a lot of time to ask. And I thought that, I thought that they, this is such an impossible match to compare to any others because they do not have the advantage of cut. Let's redo this. Uh, let's, let's enhance the crowd here. Let's, uh, cut to this. They, they went through like this to me was like the ultimate for whatever people want to say about the, the takeover style of Epic. This was it to the highest amount. Uh, or New they Japan. Use, um, yeah, in, in certain certain elements of it, but I think in terms of the, like trying to produce drama that sometimes can come natural, but when it's... Uh, other times, it's kind of like forced in there. And I think this had a mixture of both. Um, I thought Edge's selling was a strong part of this match, working on the neck as well. Uh, this was certainly the best we have seen of Randy Orton in probably years uh, as well. Um I, I liked the match a lot. I thought it was a, a, a huge improvement over their WrestleMania match, but 
I mean, I, I, I don't think this was in the level of uh, greatness, I, I would say. But no, no, it wasn't. Of course not. But I, you know, it's, it's debatable whether or not any match in this sort of environment would be able to achieve that status. And we'll see with New Japan as they come back, you know, delivering a, a lot of, I would say, maybe matches of their caliber and their standard without a crowd. How is that going to look like? Um, we shall see. But to me, this was an attempt like of hitting all the tropes of the great matches or at least modern great matches. And that includes a length of beyond 30 minutes. You know, that includes a number of near falls that includes, you know, stealing other people's finishers and doing all that. And again, without knowing how much was edited and how much was there, you, you can even argue like, is that even relevant? Because, you know, like certainly in the, in at this point, does it you know we we applaud matches that are edited that we know are edited um should it be a criticism well, not, not to this extent like not to this extent though well, i mean, no, when, I mean when... edited well what about the stadium stampede what about the actual cinematic matches okay you're you're comparing it to that i think uh, i'm i'm deciphering between other matches that are just taped i mean 99 percent of matches don't have the ability to just cut and re- restart like yeah. smackdown for instance okay smackdown may be taped you're never going to see just stop and just pick up from where you left off it's like it's a tape match but it does not have the abilities that these matches do stadium but, stampede sure that's it's similar but uh, again that depends on how how you're viewing these these matches are you viewing this match amongst all the presentations of quote-unquote matches including the cinematic matches that we've had or are you only strictly judging this according to bell-to-bell matches and the, the way this match was put together, I think you could make the, the case that this is, you know, more closer to a cinematic match than an actual match itself. But again, like, who cares? Like, in the end, it's... Sorry about that. In the end, it's like, you know, did you enjoy this or did you not? And I enjoyed it. I think it would have been... I think at, like, 30 minutes, I think it, I think it would have been a much, a much tighter match, and I think it would have been... To, to me, it's once you're hitting 45, that's where you're... I think most people realize I, I kind of had a, like an indication that this was going to be around the, this length. So I didn't go into this really. Um, I, I somewhat expected it to be th- this length as well. Um, but this is the match that everyone will talk about from this show. Like as, as a whole backlash, it was marketed off of one match. It will be discussed upon one match and whether you felt it was a success or not. Um, I put up a poll and the vast majority um, loved this match. I just did my simple loved it or hated it, and I think it's like 78% loved it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, very curious to hear all of your thoughts, what criticisms you might might have had, uh, what what you know thing, good things you, you enjoyed about the match and really about the show overall. So we open up the phone lines right now on Skype. You could Skype us at Post Wrestling. Just search for that. And we start off here with, well, first of all, let's start off with the uh, message board and see what you guys thought out of 10. What did you think of Backlash overall? 5.73. So I guess you can consider it a pass, but I wouldn't consider it a good grade from our forum, unfortunately. But uh, as a let's... show overall, I would say I would I would say the overall, I would say kind of a disappointing show. I think to me, like the in-ring quality in many cases exceeded my expectations, but certainly expectation and really like how much did you need to watch this show? What repercussions really came out of the shows that you that you really had to watch? No, none. You could have really skipped this show overall. Uh, so I can understand that. But let's go to Jackie. What did you think of this show? Hey, guys. Hey, Jackie. Uh, 
Yeah, my view on the show, you know, someone once said the key to happiness is low expectations. And uh, I went into this show with pretty low expectations and uh, actually didn't enjoy a lot of the show aside from the women's tag. I thought the double countout was terrible. I thought the Street Profits, Viking Raiders thing was terrible. I thought Seamus Hardy was terrible. I didn't enjoy much of it. However, I, I really did enjoy the uh, so-called greatest match ever. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, uh, I, I thought the acting was great. I thought Orton was great. I don't know if you guys caught this, but Orton told Edge, uh, tell your kids Uncle Randy said hi. I thought that was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I thought it was shot pretty creatively. Like I definitely viewed it in that sort of pre, like that cinematic match style. And I thought, unlike most WWE matches, I thought the call, uh, especially from Joe, was really good. Um, but rather than that being, to me, like an indication of like, oh, this is like a really good thing WWE did, I thought it sort of exposed a lot of WWE's issues because it was kind of modeled after some of their great past matches. Like everything from Finkel to the old referee uniform was like hearkening back to a certain era and to me it sort of said that wwe views wrestling matches and what they do now as two very different things and so it's like i really enjoyed this thing but it was also a huge departure from what wwe does so i was just wondering if you guys think they're gonna take any of this into their future television production or was this a totally isolated thing to kind of convey that uh, big match feel. Uh, I'll take my answer off the air. And uh, lastly, John, on the last review away, you talked about how when your headphones get caught on the drawers by your sink, how that fills you with rage. And that is something I can very much relate to. So uh, <laughs> I just wanted to get that in. So thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah, I, 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 re- I revisited that, that emotion throughout that whole street profits, Viking Raiders segment. <laughs> Um, you know, as far as what Jackie suggests about what WWE might be able to learn, I mean, every time they go outside of their comfort zone, I feel like it's an opportunity to learn something and to see what they can take. Certainly, I feel the idea of like doing the whole spotlight thing before the match, uh, even like maybe doing the Howard Finkel thing, if they can get away with it, you know, once in a while, I think that is absolutely something they could keep, you know, at the very least, like the, the spectacle of like, this is going to be a main event, you know, this is going to be... (laughs) They should really treat every match as possibly the greatest match ever, you know? And for, I think, all our faults, all the faults of them giving this match way too many expectations, I think this match did benefit from being presented as a serious match, you know? And that starts with the uh, opening video, uh, harkening back to, like, you know, all the great matches of of the past, doing something like having a referee or something different, doing the Howard Finkel thing. Allowing these guys everything to go. outside of the tagline way, I think you could have done all of that. Take out the tagline, and that's that's pro wrestling promotion right there. And they, I think that you would have, I think this match would have been received way better without that tagline. Problem is, they wouldn't have done any of that stuff if they did not set themselves up for <laughs> such a ridiculous standard. Like if this was just a match at WrestleMania, it would have probably been like a twenty minute thing. You would have just like, you know, had a regular introduction and that would have been it. But because they set themselves to such an lofty, unattainable standard, they put the pressure on themselves to actually take it seriously, which is ridiculous to say because they should be taking everything seriously. But, you know, it was like, to me, a positive side effect of it all. 
Yeah, and the, the the inverse effect was that by pushing it like that, it almost forced people to not take it seriously, uh, including the performers this week who it, like had to joke about it. And everyone has because it's it's an absolutely ludicrous tagline that was just pretty much like it was it was just like, hey, look at us. Like it was just screaming for attention. And I guess it can be debated whether that added to people that just wanted to see this match just so they can have an opinion on it afterwards. We go back to the phone lines. We encourage everybody to keep calling. We only have one line. So if you don't get through, uh, please keep going and, and we'll try to get to uh, everybody. But we go to Richard, who's on the line. Please unmute yourself, Richard, and let us know what you thought of Backlash. Hey, guys. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. What's up? How's it going tonight? Well. Hello? What, what were your thoughts on the show, Richard? Uh, well, I thought the greatest wrestling match ever, well, wasn't, but they did a pretty decent job. Although I agree with you, John, they could have probably shaved 15 minutes off of it. It would have been a much better match. Um, and yes, I thought that the Street Profits Viking Raiders thing was a total travesty, a total exclamation point to this whole angle, which I hated from the very beginning. And just, oh, it's just as soon as I saw that. Fake alligator. That was a puppet alligator. That wasn't a real alligator, by the way. Um, Thank you for the clarification. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, like you guys said, this was an overall forgettable show. I, although I kind of thought the Lashley McIntyre match was a pretty decent one, right until the ending, at which you guys have said all endings on tonight's show were pretty well just nothing essentially. Uh, although I'm kind of thinking now with Edge being out for the next little bit, what do you see with Orton? Do you see him going? Maybe going them going with them against uh, Drew McIntyre. Do you see a return with Brock Lesnar soon? Uh, no, it should totally be be Drew. I think after you get through this Lashley program, whether it be Orton disappears for for a month or so, I think that should be the SummerSlam program for for Drew. If you're you're going that direction, I mean this, the guys just won the biggest like match you've promoted uh, ever. So that sh- that should naturally lead to to McIntyre, even even beyond. Um, you know, Lashley, I, I think you can at best squeeze one more pay-per-view match out of Lashley and then you get to SummerSlam. I totally agree with you on that one. Uh, by the way, thanks for everybody in the chat forum while I'm waiting out there. It's been fun chatting with you guys. It's been uh, pretty fun. I shout out to Kenneth, uh, the other Richard and Jackie. Uh, thanks, guys. You've been fun this evening. All right. Thanks, you guys later. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. All right, we try to go back to the phone lines right now. And yes, I want to echo uh, what Richard said. Shout out to everybody in the chat room. Thank you for all for joining us. And, uh, you know, if you guys have any questions in the chat room, I can try to go to some of those too. I know somebody suggested we do that. And uh, I'd like to try that here. But first, we're going to give some priority to the phone lines. And we go to the phone lines again right now with Jared. What do you think of the show? Guys, uh, I thought the overall show was a thumbs in the middle sort of thing. The main event, the the big takeaway, I I get from this whole entire show is it's so good to see edge back in an actual wrestling match. And mm-hmm. he proved if anything, he, he can go like to go that length. I agree with most people and John, it need, it needed to be shorter, but the fact that he got to go out there and I found, you know, the, the false finish, like the, the signature moves of the other wrestlers and stuff. It, it wasn't exactly for me, but the fact that it got to show that edge, you know, could go out there and have a full-fledged match uh, was was awesome, especially after their their WrestleMania thing, which I was not. I'm a big fan of, but if you classify this um as one of those cinematic matches, 
I rate that it only behind something like the Bray Wyatt and Cena uh, Firefly Funhouse thing, in which I just absolutely loved all the references and stuff. But as an actual straight up match, it's probably the best of all uh, the cinematic style of thing. See, like you brought up something, Jared, that I think is one of the unfortunate things about this. To me, the biggest hook of this match is to see Edge in a proper wrestling match for the first time in nine years. And that was something that I think was completely lost in the promotion of this. It was so totally overshadowed by this entire greatest wrestling match thing. It's all everybody was talking about. But you had a real story there, you know? Yes, the guy won this, you know, Falls Count Anywhere match at WrestleMania, but that's not what he's been training for throughout this entire comeback. That's not what he wanted to do. Uh, you know, for for this for this run, that's not what he was working up to. You know, uh, coming out of retirement, and I I felt like that was one of the the negative things about this. Yeah, I and in the incredible shape that he got into, like he obviously trained his ass off to be able to go that that length and, and look even better than he was before he uh, had to retire. So yeah, just having to base the match around him coming back in his first full length match and then going but, but let's uh, sorry to interrupt meeting. but let's let's also remember the fact here that this, you know this is this guy's second match back after you know all the time away and they put him out there for that length of time and you suffer an injury at the end of it like you could certainly see that you know we what we saw tonight was 45 minutes god knows how long it was unedited and how long they were out there and what they were doing and you're almost tempting fate like putting a 46 year old there and you know you can't predict injuries but i i would say like second match back and he's out there for 45 minutes um you know that there was definitely to me it was something that um was somewhat avoidable. He took some really hard shots too. At, at some point that I think they really tried to, and his, his selling was awesome. Like I really did think that there were some spots. So I was like, should he even really be putting himself in this situation? But yeah, I just, it was, it was a little uncomfortable in that sense, but to, I think they saw the WrestleMania map or match or whatever it might've been as something that they might have had to do at the time. And this was their opportunity to try and make good on Edge's actual full return. So I'm glad that at least he got the ability to go out there and actually show it. But uh, so, yeah, that, that was probably my only full strong takeaway from the show, just to actually see Edge back in action. What did you think, Jared, of like some of the production elements, like the crowd noise and, and the special camera angles? The, the crowd noise thing was obvious to me that it was being uh, piped in and that it was almost, um, yeah, because you knew that the amount of people to make that amount of noise wasn't in attendance. But I did appreciate that as the match ramped up and you knew that they were going home sort of thing and they were getting really into the, the near falls and signature move after signature move that it, it built to a crescendo. So in that way, it did build some sort of atmosphere. But in the end, I think it might have taken more than it gave. Thank yeah, you, Jared. I agree. Appreciate Thanks, Jared. Talk. Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, let's go to one more phone call for the time being before we get to uh, some of the feedback on the forum. And I think we're going to take Hansi's call. Hansi, you there? Yeah, what's, go- what's going on, guys? Hey, Hansi. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, cool, cool. Sorry about that. No, I, I thought the pay-per-view was... Uh... I thought it was kind of mediocre a little bit until like the last couple of I mean the Lashley and uh, um, and Drew McIntyre and the Edge and 
or the match. I, again, you know, they booked themselves into a corner with the moniker, obviously. I, I think they did that on purpose to, like, create, like, such discourse online because I think, like, they kind of, like, get off on, like, that kind of internet discourse, in my personal opinion. But I thought it it, it delivered. I, th- I, I thought it, it was obviously going to be the greatest match ever, but I thought they did a, a really good job. I, I enjoyed, like, all the callbacks they did with, like, the moves. And you know, it, it it was it was a really it was a really it was a really it was really decent um, with some of the matches. I think they should have put Styles and Bryan um, on the card. I think that probably would have made it a lot better. But I don't think they wanted it to overshadow with uh, um, with um, uh, with Edge and Orton. But uh, before I go, uh, I just want to get your guys' thoughts. Did you guys uh, uh, read? Uh, uh, Nomics is a uh, thing about the uh, Saudi Arabia thing. And I want to know if you guys have any thoughts on that because it was kind of interesting from what I saw, but I didn't know if you guys want to touch upon it or wait till Monday to touch upon it. But sorry if I, if I ruined your buzz or anything like that, but you know, I just thought I'd, I'd ask you guys. Well, I haven't, unfortunately, and I think we've lost John uh, on the call for some reason, uh, Hanzi. So uh, unfortunately, I don't think you'll be able to get an answer there. Maybe we'll, we'll discuss it on, uh, on, on Monday. But uh, why don't you tell us what did you think? What what, what was oh, sort of oh, the news? Oh well, it it just it had um like some document. Again, I'm not an expert on it, but it was, it was like some document about uh someone that worked with the company from 2012 to 2020 to April 2020, and he claimed that like he basically confirmed what the rumors were about the whole Saudi plane thing, but right? like that mm. they couldn't get off, and that the stewardess was saying that there was uh. There was a uh, um, men with 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 guns with like b- b- militant thing whatever. So it basically confirmed in a, in a way if you take that guy, if you take that witness's uh, anonymous witness that uh, testified that uh, that th- there was more than just mechanical issues in Saudi Arabia. I thought it was kind of interesting, but uh, I, I again you know I I just thought that maybe you and Pollock might have a thoughts on it. But I guess maybe I'll wait till Monday for it. But thank you for letting me tell you. You know what I mean in a half ass way. You know what I mean, but. Uh, Keep up the good work, guys. I, I enjoy what you guys do for real, man. Not a problem. Not a problem. Okay, thank you, Hansi. Uh, thank you to the chat room. I recognize there, we had some issues right now. We've lost John. Uh, we've, we were on a great run, I would say, on these shows without losing John. But it uh, looks like his whole thing froze. So we attempt to get John back. I know you guys didn't get to hear Hansi, but on the actual uh, downloadable podcast, you will hear everything perfectly fine. But as we wait for John to come back for us, why don't I... Get to some feedback on the actual message board. We go to forum.postwrestling.com and we start off with Cash who says, This was a great show. 8 out of 10. I actually enjoyed the Tape Street Profits Viking Raiders segment. There's room for brainless comedy as a palate cleanser, especially between Drew Lashley and the main event. I thoroughly enjoyed the main event. I wish the amped in sound was even louder. It didn't distract at all. Randy and Edge were great. I hope his injury isn't severe. Really looking forward to another between Drew and Lashley. Very little that didn't entertain. So Cash, positive review. We're going to JD from RLS who says, This show was so weird, especially for its champions. Drew is a background player and wins due to heel screwing up. Braun gets visually pinned and is saved by heel screwing up. Asuka gets counted out in odd fashion. It was weird beyond that too crowd who seemingly can't muster a chant except to consistently cheer heels charles robinson displaying a boxing referee uh i mean that's you know more so an old school wwe look i think they were going for there 
Uh, and then he goes on to say the Street Profits Viking Raider segment or Edge and Orton having video game-esque audio that sounded like a pantomime crowd. He says, I'll be honest, I didn't find the main event overly compelling. Felt like a checklist of ingredients for a WWE formula match being executed well. Who let Vince off his meds? What is happening? Okay. John says he will need a few minutes, so please bear with us, everybody, as we continue here with forum.postwrestling.com. Nick from Lansing says, I enjoyed the hell out of this show. Maybe it was a middle-of-the-road expectations, but I thought basically everything delivered. Silly tagline aside, Edge and Norton had a hell of a match if you can't if you don't mind some of the production choices, which didn't bother me, but will probably bug some. Speaking of divisive moments, I personally was thoroughly sports entertained by the Vikings Raiders Street, Street Profits match. It's probably not what most people expected from War Machine when they first signed to WWE, but I'll take it. The rest of the card was solid, even with some weak build for a couple of the stories going into the show. We got a Joe from Niagara who says... What is up, gentlemen? I'm just going to comment on the Edge of Norton match. The rest of the card wasn't the best in my opinion. However, I really enjoyed that main event. Great storytelling and great match all around. I was not really sold on the added crowd effects, but I admit it grew on me as the match went on and really added to the match. For having the pressure of putting on the greatest match ever, I say that they did a pretty good job. Do they have a rubber match now, or is that it? Take care, fellas. I absolutely feel like they are setting up for a... Rubber match. I mean, how could you not follow up the greatest match ever of all time? Uh, certainly the question will be when. And if it's not this year, I really do feel like we still are going to get a big edge WrestleMania moment in front of a crowd. We were, you know, pretty much kind of like robbed of that this year because of everything that had happened. Um, this match, I think, was very much a make good in the sense of a. Uh, this felt like the match that these two would have had on a WrestleMania stage, but without the real crowd there, I, I think that is absolutely a storyline you could tell with Edge. You know, is to say, hey, like I worked my ass off for all this, but I still haven't had my WrestleMania moment yet with the crowd fully there. So I absolutely think that you could do a rubber match with these two. John, if you're back with us, what do you think? Do we get a third? Uh, it makes sense that they do a third one. I would want to hold off on it for a while. I think people are beyond exhausted on this feud at this point, though. All right, let's go back to some feedback here. We got a Joe from Niagara who says, oh, sorry, we got an Aaron from Brampton who says, Drew beating Lashley the way he did was a neat way to continue the feud. Now Lashley can say he would have beat Drew if it wasn't for his wife. It gives the feud a bit more substance, and I'm curious to see where it goes. As for the main event, I liked it a lot more than the Mania match. Yes, it was a bit long, but it was far more eventful. What I really loved about it was the new camera angles. That was a really cool way of making a regular wrestling match different. Okay, so there you go. Some, some people enjoyed it. Unfortunately, it looks like we'll have one more Edge Orton match, which I don't care to see. There's so many dream matches that fans want to see from Edge, and it feels like he's stuck with Orton. Yeah, I, th- I think we'll get back to it at some point. But, I mean, who, who knows what that timetable is now, um, given this injury. And, you know, it's something that you, you may not even see for... Whether it's next year's WrestleMania, it could be a long, long time from now. Paul from New Jersey. Expectations weren't terribly high, so I found the show to be decent. Glad that the Boston Hug connection retained. Love the Aussies, but Sasha and Bailey should have a lengthy run jumping on all three shows until they eventually lose the titles and feud. Asuka could have lost to Charlotte clean on Monday. Lashley could have lost clean to Drew. And Nia Jax definitely could have lost clean to Asuka. Losing a match clean won't kill your career. Too many messed up finishes lately. Main event was really good. Don't need a stupid greatest match ever tagline. Just two world-class performers and gives us a six out of 10. 
Um, you know, if if all those feuds are continuing, that's kind of the way they go about things. It's not too often that you do a clean finish and then continue. Um, and in the case of Sheamus and Jeff Hardy, they probably probably are going in that direction where it was a relatively clean finish uh, for Sheamus and it's going to continue. This often happens before the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, which is the pay-per-view that has a bunch of stipulation matches. And instead of starting the feuds cold, the pay-per-view that precedes it usually is full of finishes like this, where it's kind of get through this pay-per-view to get to the next one. We got a Kenny who says, I don't know if this show had the greatest match ever, but it had one of the worst. Street Profits versus Viking Raiders was a total waste of time. Can you imagine seeing War, J- War Machine and New Japan Pro Wrestling and thinking, I really want to see those guys fight ninjas, eat turkey, and dive into a dumpster? I actually thought there were a lot of good things about the main event, but again, it was just too much and way too long. If they had that same match in 25 minutes, I think it could have actually been an all-time classic. A lot of the undercard was good, so I can't hate this show too much, but after Money in the Bank and a very solid takeover, this didn't do it for me. 6 out of 10. Unless it's a real unique set of circumstances, like something like a uh, stadium stampede, I don't think anything in this era is going to be considered like all-time classic in these empty arenas. I just no. don't think it's possible when you take out the crowd. They're too much of the equation. You know, by by default, I think seeing a, any sort of like straight-up wrestling match in an empty arena environment is going to feel like you're seeing something at half capacity. And something at half capacity is incredibly unlikely to be an all-time great thing. Uh, now the difference of course is like the actual cinematic matches that have gone outside, uh, you know, like more so the final deletion type type of matches, like a stadium stampede or a firefly funhouse. Those are operating at full capacity, whether or not Mm -hmm. there's an audience there. And so those are segments that I think people will still go back and revisit things like the boneyard match. People will go back to revisit years down the line, uh, more so than perhaps, you know, actual straight up wrestling matches. We got a Jordan from Kitchener or sorry, that's, that's yours, John. Jordan writes, I hope I'm I'm hoping I just get this feedback ahead of you guys ending the show. It was decent. Nothing earth shattering happened or made me scratch my head at the result. I did like the McIntyre Lashley match and thought it was the match of the night. I just couldn't give Edge Orton that nod as they had me dozing off at parts. Thank you, everybody, for your feedback. Apologies to uh, John, you for, for the technical uh, difficulties. We had a great run up until this point, but uh, I think we recovered pretty well. We got through most of this show without it and Uh, I feel like most of the audience really didn't miss a beat. So uh, what's coming up the rest of the week? Well, Way and I are going to be back Monday night with Rewind to Raw, where we're going to go through Raw and the fallout from Backlash and wherever the different directions are going. Plus, we will review New Japan's first card since the end of February with their Together Project special. Uh, It's all unannounced matches until they're doing the New Year's Dash style, where they will announce the card at the beginning of the show. That's happening, I believe it's 6 a.m. Eastern on New Japan World. So Wei and I will review that show on Monday night as well. A double review on Rewind to Raw. And then Tuesday, we've got our big MCU review panel as Nate Milton, Brent Chittenden will be joining the two of us to discuss Avengers Endgame. I'm very excited for that. So get your feedback in right now at forum.postwrestling.com if you are a Post Wrestling Cafe patron. And thank you so much to our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons for tuning in live. I want to give some shout-outs here. MJ from NJ, Richard Smith, Bruavin, Jared Taylor, John Ceno Evil, the social media director of Up Next Themselves. You can uh, catch Braden Davies' watch-along of tonight's Backlash as well. I'm assuming that they're going to do a review of Backlash itself, so if you want to hear their thoughts, you can just join their Patreon, patreon.com slash upnext. And uh, really, thank you everybody for tuning in live. 
and hope to talk to you guys Friday. Yes. Thanks to everyone for listening. Goodbye.